0: Well, you have Romans 11 open there. We looked at, we looked at uh, much of it last week and I'd like to bring that to a conclusion this morning. I'll tell you where I'm going. I'm going to verses 33, 34, 35, 36 in which Paul says, Isn't God amazing? Oh, the depth of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God. That's where I'm heading to. Uh, and I hope we can all arrive there in uh, in reasonable shape. So let's begin with some thoughts of praise and wonder. I don't know whether you ever see something on the telly or read a good book or uh, see a movie in which you say, wow, that was a great movie. That was a brilliant story and you praise the writer or the producer and um, give them five stars out of five. So I don't know what your tastes are. I don't know whether you watch Poirot or Columbo. I don't know whether you spell Columbo like that or whether no, but um, the detective Columbo, the one that goes, my wife, by the way, that one. Uh, And you think, you go all the way through and you think he's so clever he noticed that the cigarette was put left to right instead of right to left, things like that uh, Poirot and his little grey cells uh, yeah Or I don't know if you've watched Oceans 11 or Oceans 12 or Oceans 13 and those, those sorts of uh, thriller and there's a twist at the end and you think how are they going to get out of that and then wow so clever! Never thought of that. Didn't see that coming, or maybe you watch uh, things like CSI or NCIS or things with various initials like that, or Silent Witness or Scott and Bailey. Although that's a bit racy, Scott and Bailey. But you think, how are they going to catch that thief, that murderer, that nasty person? It was I um, can't remember a name now. Who wrote uh, Who wrote Peter Whimsy? her name? Dorothy L. Sayers who said that detective fiction is the most moral fiction of all because the whole point of it is that justice gets done and I don't know whether you've ever read and watched detective things and you feel, get him, you know he needs to be caught and at the end there's always that resolution that the person is, is caught, that's the way justice works and you think, wow that was good. Or maybe you watch Sherlock Holmes or read Sherlock Holmes. Holmes, what can you tell about this man? Well, I can tell very little, apart from the fact that his wife recently bought new toothpaste, that he's been to the barbers, that he's recently returned from Brazil, uh, that uh, he, is a, uh, he used to be a stamp collector. Apart from that, I can tell very little. I don't know whether you've ever uh, read Sherlock Holmes, that's the way it is, or seen it on the telly, and you think, he's so clever. How does he manage to spot all that? Or uh, I don't know whether you've watched things like Secret Millionaire, uh, where somebody has a plan to do good to some people. They don't realize it, and it ends up that these people get given some amazing gift or something that they'd hoped for, but they couldn't possibly have afforded or managed. And they get it, and it brings tears to your eyes. You think, oh, so nice. And well, Mr. Darcy, do you remember arranging, no you probably don't, arranging for the marriage of Mr. Wickham, and how, he did it all in secret, and the father says, as he reads the letter, somebody has arranged something behind the scenes, it must have cost a lot of money, how will I ever pay them back? because some act of generosity has been done do you remember the railway children you see I'm just drawing on things that I've read and seen and you may not know them at all there's an old gentleman in the railway children who sorts out the plight of the children's father who's been wrongly accused of something and he sorts it out and, uh, and it's all, all all right in the end all of those things you think wow, oh that's good or wow how clever or wow, oh, amazing and god is all of those things and more and paul says in romans 11 wow the depth of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of god how unsearchable his judgments his paths beyond tracing out who has known the mind of the Lord? Who has ever been his counselor? Who has ever given to God that God should repay him? Things like that. That's what we're looking at. Let's recap the story so far in Romans 9, 10 and 11. Paul has a number of purposes in writing these chapters but the thing that is the most obvious feature, is he's looking at this whole question of why and how it can be that Israel does not believe. How can that be? I mean, you could enlarge on that question and say, how is it anybody doesn't believe? What's going on? But the the particular issue is, how is it that Israel doesn't believe? And you may may remember, we looked at things like this. She was given real, distinct, privileges that no other nation or ethnic group has been given um, they have the hebrew scriptures they have all sorts of background understanding of god that other people don't have israel has had the genuine free offer of the gospel and paul was saying in romans chapter 10 it's like the sunshine that shines on all people their voice has gone out into all the world their words to the ends of the earth. Didn't they hear? Of course they did. The free offer of the gospel. But Israel, like all people, must take personal responsibility for their unbelief, for their pride. They can't turn around to God and say, why have you made me like this? Uh, They are responsible for their pride. They're responsible for their unbelief uh, as everyone else is. And we add into that mix, as Paul does, there is the factor of God's way of working. He he isn't running a competition to see who can achieve the highest grade. That would be a completely different way of doing it. He's saving people who don't deserve it as they put their trust in him. And how does that all work? Well, it works by God's call and by his choice, and you might, might remember, he, he said this in Romans chapter nine, in order that God's purpose by election might stand, not by works, but by him who calls. He says, that's the way God works. And as we begin to think about it, we begin to think, how do you fit all these together? And we have to say God's method of working is actually amazing. And then we saw also the process of hardening. Paul refers to this, the big example being Pharaoh, who was given opportunities to be compliant, but he said no, and then he said no harder and stronger, and he was given more opportunities, and he said no more definitely, and he became hard. And there is a sense that hardening, well, it's a process, people in a sense harden their own hearts but it could also be said God hardens people and in chapter 11 verse 9 we looked at last week uh, David in his psalm says they've behaved so badly they've rejected the king may their eyes be darkened so that they cannot see and their backs be bent forever he says if they've Rejected, well, may they become blind and deaf and stupid. And that's one of the themes of these chapters that Israel has become like Pharaoh or like the opponents of the king, has become hardened. And then at the center of all of this is Jesus Christ. Uh, He's the stone over which people stumble, and He's the very center of salvation by grace through faith believing God's promises believing in what he offers believing in his son which is the complete opposite of working harder trying harder being good all of those things God says you can't be saved that way nobody can be saved that way anybody's going to be saved it's by putting their trust entirely in what I've done for them so that was part of the mix that we were looking at and the question was so is Israel who rejected and messed up so badly is Israel herself totally rejected we're having a little conversation after the service yesterday, uh, last week, and saying, you know, what a terrible failure it was uh, on Israel's part to have their own Messiah whom they should have recognized and to be in, con- in conjunction with the Gentiles, but to be the, the people who said, crucify him, crucify him. It's a pretty bad rejection. So, is Israel herself totally rejected? That's what Paul says. at in chapter 11 verse 1 did God reject his people and then he says in verse 11 did they stumble so as to fall beyond recovery and he says no here's an amazing thing after having made such a mess of it God still hasn't written these people off encouragement for us because if people who did that are not written off then those of us who say well i've stumbled and i've fallen and i've i should have known so much better but god offers hope well if he offers hope to them he offers hope to us and what this is saying is about salvation it's not talking about military power it's not talking about politics it's not talking about geography it's saying jews also can be saved by faith in Jesus Christ the door is not shut on them and you remember that we looked at this last time I'm still recapping Paul said "Um, is this true can Jews be saved or Paul says yes well I'm a Jew the Lord saved me and then he he looked back at what happened in the Old Testament when Elijah said Elijah appeal to God against Israel 11 verse 2 and and God had said in verse 4 I've reserved 7,000 who have not bowed the knee to Baal and he says uh, God kept a minority, a remnant of people just because he wanted to do that by grace and Paul says that's true now verse 5 so there is at the present time at the time of writing there were Jews being saved a remnant chosen by grace and then still recapping Paul was outlining the rather unexpected dynamic of blessing and salvation and the first thing he says is if I try and break it down for simplicity's sake the hardening of the Jews led to blessing for the Gentiles so when Israel rejected the gospel went ballistic and went off in all directions to all the nations when Israel rejected the gospel went off to the Gentiles Paul himself says things like this doesn't he he went to the synagogue they kicked him out and he said well in that case I'm going to go to the Gentiles first we've come to you but you've rejected we're going to go to the Gentiles so hardening in one place led to blessings somewhere else and Paul had referred to this in verse 11 when he said because of their transgression salvation has come to the Gentiles and he says in verse 12 their transgression means riches for the world and then he says, their loss means riches for the Gentiles. So there's an unexpected thing. It is an unexpected thing. God's purposes going down through history suddenly, pow, go ballistic into the whole world. And it's the this unexpected development. And then he says, there's more to it than that. That the conversion of the Gentiles leads to the jealousy of the Jews now for the sake of time I won't develop how this goes back into the Old Testament because in the Old Testament or will I Uh, let me just see no I think I haven't haven't put this bit in but in the Old Testament there is quite a complex relationship between Israel and the nations around and putting it in a nutshell Israel is meant to be a witness to the nations around and she she brings judgment to the nations around and then in Deuteronomy 32 and around there Moses says but if you don't follow the Lord then the nations will teach you lessons you will be scattered amongst the nations you will be oppressed by the nations and they are going to teach you a lesson And they'll make you indignant. They'll make you angry. If you make me angry by serving other gods, I'll make you angry by sending you out to the nations. And that will have the effect of turning you back. Of course, that's what happened in the exile. But Paul says it's actually happening now too. That as the blessing of the gospel goes to the Gentiles, that has the effect of making Israel angry or envious or jealous. And that's what he says in verse 13. I'm talking to you Gentiles in as much as I am the apostle to the Gentiles I make much of my ministry in the hope that I may somehow arouse my own people to envy that's that word, envy, jealousy Um, sort of in in the same area as anger actually so they might say we want that, we need to why aren't we being blessed and save some of them so the conversion of the Gentiles leads to jealousy of the Jews and then Paul says there's actually even another step that is rather amazing that the conversion of the Jews is enrichment for the church and Paul says you know you Gentiles you've been blessed but please don't think that uh, you uh, can somehow take credit for this because you've been built on the foundation of another people's experience and you don't deserve this Uh, and if they come in with their heritage they bring you great enrichment so in verse 12 he says if they come in it brings great riches and in verse 18 he says don't boast over these branches if you do consider this you don't support the root that's the root going back God's dealings with Israel the root supports you so just think on that he says if you need comfort and if you want somebody to say, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not be in want. Where do you have to go? You have to go to the Hebrew scriptures, don't you? You have to go back to Israel's experience, etc. And Paul says, don't resent when Jews are brought back into your congregation. And you, Church of Rome, I know you're easily split with the Jews sitting on one side and the Gentiles sitting on the other and you each think nasty things about each other he says just realize Gentiles that those Jews have a a natural place in the church of Jesus Christ Uh, they are the branches that were broken off so that you could be uh, grafted in but they could be grafted in too and he says and there's a warning here because verse 20 he says they were broken off because of unbelief, and you stand by faith. So don't get puffed up and think, you know, we're better than we're doing better at this than the Israelites ever did. Uh, so don't you do begin to think that, because do not be arrogant but be afraid. If God did not spare the natural branches, he will not spare you either. And it's a call to the Gentiles to be humble, be, as it says, actually, do not be arrogant, be afraid. Uh, do not boast over those branches and if you're not going to boast over israel you very few other people you could boast over so don't boast over your ethnicity and say you know i'm better christian than those such and such people or those such and such people Uh, none of us has the right to say that we're all saved by faith we're all saved by grace none of us can look down on other people and say well I'm not like them or they're not like me um, You can't say that we're all sinners saved by grace and none of us can look down on anybody else or sort of sit separately or something like that because we're all in it together and that's the point that he's trying to make to the Romans so that really just recaps what we've done Previously, so I hope I haven't lost you. But that's that's where we got to before. So I'm going to take us on uh, in these uh, last couple of paragraphs from verse 25. I do not want you to be ignorant of this mystery, brothers, so that you may not be conceited. Israel has experienced a hardening in part until the full number or the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. And so shall all Israel be saved, as it is written. And I want to give you the picture of what's happening there and pick out some words so that we can say, wow, how great God is. Let's pick up this, this word mystery. I don't want you to be ignorant of this mystery, brothers. What a mystery in the New Testament, A mystery is almost always a plan that's been hidden until the Gospel is made known It's usually It's not a mystery in the sense of you know Jonathan Creek mystery. How did that person get killed inside that locked door or a magical puzzle? you know how could he have known what card I was going to choose, something like that? It's a mystery in the sense of a plan that was hidden but is now made known in the gospel. So if you look in Romans 16.25, he says about mystery, 16.25. Now to him who is able to establish you by my gospel and the proclamation of Jesus Christ according to the revelation of the mystery hidden for long ages past but now revealed and made known through the prophetic writings he's saying this is a mystery what's the mystery the mystery is that who would have known how God was going to operate sending Jesus Christ as he did dying on the cross as he did risen from the dead as he was and then the gospel going out to the gentiles who would have known that that's what god was going to do it's a plan that god had but it was hidden it was referred to but in a sense it was hidden and now it's been made known it's a mystery you see look at ephesians 3 6 he says here's a mystery a plan that was hidden and only becomes clear in the gospel Ephesians 3, verse 6. Here's something you would never have guessed, although actually it was predicted, but how it was going to work out, you would never have guessed. Ephesians 3, verse 6. This mystery is that through the gospel, the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel, members together of one body, and share us together in the promise in Christ Jesus. Who would have thought that God had in mind English people and Swiss people and German people to bring them into Jesus Christ? The mystery is that the Gentiles are heirs together. Let's go back to Romans 11. I don't want you to be ignorant of this mystery. That's the sort of area he's talking about, the things that were hidden and made known in Jesus Christ. He says, I don't want you to be ignorant of this because otherwise you get puff, puffed up. I don't want you to be conceited. You're to learn this to make you humble. Now, I'm conscious that the, the interpretation that I'm proceeding with is a bit controversial look in some books they'll take it a different way and let me say that sometimes some Christians take a a different interpretation and they're very proud about it because they think that they've got it right I don't want to be proud about me thinking I've got it right but what we're supposed to learn is humility what we're supposed to learn is humility so what does Paul say here about this mystery? well I've got a little complicated diagram here Uh, I put all the words on at one go which probably wasn't a good idea so here's the cross at the beginning and here's the end of time when God has finished the work of salvation and at the top of the diagram is the place of blessing and salvation and at the bottom of the diagram is the place of hardening and rejection and as we enter the period before the cross it's the Jews who are in the place of blessing and salvation they're the people that God is focusing on uh, to bless and the Gentiles are completely out of it because God has overlooked them he says I'm not obliged to them they carry on their own sweet way they're very happy doing that and I'm going to let them do it but when the cross comes a strange and remarkable turn of events happens that the jews who reject jesus christ suddenly are catapulted into the place of hardening and rejection they stumble very badly so i put a a line um, a, a red line saying the jews have descended and fallen into the place of hardening and rejection and the Gentiles, who haven't done a single thing to deserve this, suddenly find themselves the focus of God's blessing and attention. And they're catapulted upwards into the place of blessing and salvation. And that's what Paul says. Israel has experienced a hardening until the full number of the Gentiles has come in. So join this period till the full number of the Gentiles has come in during this Israel is hardened but he does say in part and that's his point she's hardened in part there are some who by God's grace move from this place of rejection up to the place of blessing and I put some little dotted lines to show that and he says that's the that's the mystery of it you would never have guessed that would you that's how God is doing things in this day and age this is the mystery uh, Israel is hardened in part and and because of that and during it the Gentiles come in and he says and that's the whole thing in this way all Israel will be saved let's come to that in a moment let's look at this this, uh, word fullness which crops up in a couple of places it crops up in verse twelve, uh, the fullness of Israel and it crops up in verse twenty five the fullness of the Gentiles. and I want to say this this word fullness means the full number the full number. it could be a big number, it could be a small number, it's just that it's the full number. So as a big fullness, I'm quoting John one sixteen which says from the fullness of his grace we have received blessing after another that's the fullness of Jesus Christ that's a huge fullness in Mark eight twenty, after the 5,000 have been fed they go round with uh, the baskets to pick up the scraps that are left over and the word is used it's translated here basketfuls chapter Uh, Mark 8, verse 20. How many basketfuls, how many fullnesses did you pick up? And they said, well, seven. So in that case, the full number was actually quite small, but they were full. How many full baskets? Seven of them. So the word fullness doesn't necessarily mean it's huge, it just means it's full. And in Romans 11, I would like to put forward that there is a full number of Gentiles... And that there is a full number of Jews it doesn't necessarily be, mean they're um, they're just the full number and I also want to look at the word until verse 25 Israel has experienced a hardening in part until the full number of the Gentiles has come in the word until means during this Uh, period of time it's the same word that's used about uh, in the famous expression at the Lord's table do this until he come all the time all the way through until you don't have to do it anymore at the end and here he's saying this is what happens until that time there's a hardening there's the bringing in of the Gentiles there's the addition of the Jews that God wants to be saved and then i want to look at the word so verse 26 the word so means in this way it's actually used a lot of times i think 71 times in um, in romans see so i don't want you to read it as saying then you know as in and after this A further different thing will happen afterwards if Paul wanted to say and then he could have said and then but what he says is and so and thus in the way in other words in the same way or in the way I've been describing you find that in 1131 do we um, do we find it in 11 so too verse 31 they too have become disobedient so they too have become disobedient the so too is thus utos is the word in greek in this way and i want to say that he's describing this process in the way i have described all israel will be saved in other words the the process i've described will bring in the full number of the gentiles and the process I have described will bring in the full number of Jewish people that God wants to be saved and in this way which nobody would have predicted with such dynamics within it in this way all the elect people will be saved he'll he'll bring in everybody through this process of hardening and reaction and uh, rejection and grace and one lot of people working off another lot of people and all of that in this way God will save Gentiles who've never deserved it and he'll save his own people who he promised he would save so let's move to the next section in verse 22 he says have you thought about God's goodness and his sternness have you thought about that God is good and generous but he's also not a pushover he's not soft he says and think about how how this places the Jews because their their situation is a particular one verse 28 he says as far as the gospel is concerned they're enemies on your account they are they oppose the gospel and they persecute Christians but don't hate them for it don't become anti-semitic think back think of the age old promises as far as election is concerned they are loved on the account of the patriarchs God had his eye on them he knew how what rubbish they would be in the same way he knew what rubbish we would be and he had his eye on them and he hasn't changed his mind in that sense he hasn't said well I'm not interested in you anymore no he still has his eye Uh, on Jewish people to save them by Jesus Christ by grace on account of their history they are loved and that history is not something that God regrets that's rather what that word irrevocable means his gifts and his call are not something God regrets he doesn't say oh I wish I never had no he still has grace towards those people and Paul says well where does this end up well it ends up this way and it's rather a a, a wonderful thing, think about the Gentiles, that's you lot Gentiles have always been rubbish, Gentiles have they've got no idea about spiritual things they've Been worshipping idols and they are non compliant and disobedient and unbelieving. That's Gentiles for you, says Paul, which is most of us. And he says, What do you do with Gentiles if you want to save them? You show them mercy. It's the only way to do it. You've got to show them mercy. Have you ever been shown mercy? Mercy is when you're speeding. The uh, policeman pulls you over, and you you know you're doing 40 miles an hour and a 30 mile an hour limit. And you say to the police officer, Please, can you show me mercy? Can you let me off? And the police officer says, Give me a good reason. And you say, I haven't got a good reason, because if I had a good reason, I wouldn't be asking for mercy. And what does God do to the Gentiles? He shows them mercy. And then think of the Jews think of the jews think of all their privileges all their heritage and yet they rejected christ and they've become as non-compliant and disobedient as unbelieving as the gentiles were that's where they are at and what do you do with jews then you show them mercy are they allowed to say but uh, actually we can earn our, can earn our salvation no nope. they've fallen so badly the only thing they can say is God give me mercy and what a plan this is see what it says just as you who were at one time disobedient to God have now received mercy as a result of their disobedience they too have now become disobedient in order that they too may now receive mercy as a result of God's mercy to you for God has bound all men over to disobedience he's bound all men over to disobedience he's shut them up in the box marked disobedience Gentiles you're disobedient that's that's where you are and Jews you're disobedient too God has shut them all up into that box mark disobedience in order that he may save by mercy Gentiles get mercy Jews have no alternative but to ask for mercy and Paul says isn't that amazing God has shut all in to this position of non-compliance so that all of them can be mercied now I don't know whether I explained that very well and I don't know whether I got the hang of all of it as well as I could do but I would like to say that the correct response if we've understood any of it at all is to say wow and Paul says oh you know I would never in a million years have have realized that God's promises would work out that way and even now when I think of people being hard and people being called and people coming in and one nation doing this and another nation doing that I never realized that God was at work in all of that oh the depth of the wisdom and knowledge of God how unsearchable his judgments he does judge his paths beyond tracing out who would have realized that that would lead to that and that would lead to that who has known the mind of the lord who has god rung up if he couldn't do 50 50 done phone a friend a bit stuck on this plan of salvation could i get some help from somebody please who has god ever rung up and said i'm a bit stuck on the plan of salvation absolutely nobody who could have given him advice nobody who has known the mind of the lord or who has been his counselor and then the way it all works out who can at the end say well there you are you see i knew i'd be saved because uh, uh, you know god owed me that you know he owes me a favor god does who can the whole plan means that nobody can ever say I've given to God and God needs to pay me back nobody can say that and who gets the glory for it who comes when we get to the end and all's done and dusted who can say there we are what a great job I've done of that only one person God only God can say, look what I've done. Look what I've done with rubbish, these rubbish people. Look what I've I, look how I called them. Look how I brought them. Look how I looked after them. Look how I saved them. Look how I paid the whole thing for them. Look at the surprise on their faces. Look at the joy in their hearts when they finally arrived. Look, they could hardly believe it. I've done all that, says God. I've done all that. And Paul says, because from him and through him and to him are all things, and to him be the glory forever. And Paul doesn't say wow, he says amen. So I'm going to say amen as well.